to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Digital Transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery. Next up, we've got Kwame Egerton II going to join us here, Jay, talk a little bit about uh, his perspective in product management. A lot of organizations have been really heavy on project management in the past and not as much on product. This is an area that a lot of folks are evolving through. And then Gary Hargraves brings us back from the oil and gas industry back to where big data really started and you know what's going on in that space. He had some really interesting points to share regarding our workforce and what the future probably looks like for us. And we're also going to hear a couple more of Andrew Kingery's 20 Laws of Value Creation. Yeah, those are always great. I love Andrew's 20 Laws for sure, and I love his delivery. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today we've got Kwame Egerton II joining us. Uh, and I'm super excited about this because, Jay, we're going to get a little bit of technology stuff and a little bit of non-technology stuff in an area that we have not talked about at all so far this season. Yeah, I'm super excited, too. And Kwame's got some uh, great stuff I know he wanted to share with our audience and, you know, really from a really heartfelt place of just being able to give back to that community. And I'd like our audience, Jack, to be able to get uh, um, to really know you, Kwame, is So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in this industry, and really what your area of the digital transformation space do you specialize in? Yep. So to provide some background, I've been in the industry for about five years. Originally a kid from Brooklyn, New York. Studied at Syracuse University. Majored in systems and information science. Within my studies, I was able to realize I have a technical interest. Um, I was always good in math and science in high school as well as elementary, but I was always intrigued to figure out how to tie the business acumen to technology. Just seeing some trends within the industry as a young college student, I saw the need to have a skill set that essentially was able to combine both skills, which is why I decided to step into a degree that had a focus in information management some project management courses, as well as some more technical-based classes that focused on um, very specific development languages and C-sharp and and Java. So um, really look to be a person who can be the middleman between the the business and technological side of any enterprise. So that's my, as far as undergraduate studies, after Syracuse, I went and became a consultant at Accenture. And during my five years at the firm, I've worked across a plethora of industries within enterprise technology, within the federal space. I actually lived in Washington, D.C. for two and a half years. Within the hospitality space, I'm really helping companies to understand the digital disruption within their particular industries and to be able to pivot to stay successful. Um, and what does success mean? Continuing to improve revenue, 
improve margins and improve market share by implementing a plethora of technology solutions at a bunch of big Fortune 500 companies across across the globe. So um, that's just a little bit of background about myself. So when you started doing this, was there something that in the industry that really kind of took a connection to you or liking to you? Was it more obtaining the client or, or was it more along the lines of doing the deliverables of what a client had hired you for? Yeah, it was more so helping to solve my client's biggest, toughest problem. So being able to go into the federal industry as a whole, go into a postal delivery client and seeing some of the issues within their supply chain as a whole, um, being able to leverage data analytics to drive decision making for these clients to really help improve the product for the customer in the end state. So what was intriguing to me was being able to step in understand my clients' biggest issues and be able to inflict change that helps to improve the customer experience and improve the lives of everyday people within this country and around the world itself. So having that opportunity to go in and and solve some of these problems is what was intriguing for me. And that's a really important place, too, and a really changing place, that interface between business and technology. Historically, we had this uh, perception, at least, that business folks didn't have the vocabulary or background to talk about technology. And we had analysts that did that translation layer, if you will. Now it's a completely different world where the folks that are in business roles frequently have every bit as much technology acumen as the folks that are in IT. And in fact, I frequently rail against, and now I'm doing it myself, of talking about the business and IT as though they were separate and distinct when that really doesn't work anymore. And one of the things I know we had talked about earlier was product management. Uh, That's something that has changed dramatically over the years. That role continues to become more and more important and more common. How do you see yourself in, in that kind of a role? And what are the things that people should know about that? Yep. Product management is another passion of mine. I had that particular role at high growth hospitality company um, within Silicon Valley, but really being able to, to your point, Jack, um, tie some of the business results to some of the future development that was happening on the back end. So um, what does that really mean? Being able to tie a return on investment or an increase in income or revenue for my client by being able to communicate directly with engineers um, the priority of, of some of the features that were in the pipeline for for the product itself. Um, even taking a step back there, I know there are always questions about products. A lot of people assume a product is a physical, tangible good that's sold directly to, to the consumer. But in these cases, there are more software-based applications, web applications, mobile applications that a bunch of different big enterprises are releasing to, to the market itself. So being able to have the technical acumen to understand release cycles, to understand different agile methodologies that that are utilized, to understand the development languages that are being utilized by by engineers um, and being able to communicate some of the challenges when it comes to testing as well as deployments to the business um, to be able to to mitigate risk. So it's it's essential to have the skill set that essentially understands the the business impact and the ROI, how how this particular feature is going to help improve the overall health of the business related to to revenue as well as profit, while also being able to communicate directly with engineers to 
one, prioritize some of the work because there are instances where you have a laundry list of, of features you want to deploy to market and being able to clearly identify what is the most important for engineers to focus on, um, as well as being able to communicate some of the issues that the engineers are having with the business to either get additional resources or help to implement solutions that may remove those impediments for, for these engineers. So as far as product management, I would say that's a current passion of mine. That's a skill that grown within the industry, and I plan to continue to grow um, during my time within the industry as a whole. Right. And I want to circle back on where you started with that, and that was around really focusing on business outcomes. If we had problems in the past, and we did, a lot of times they were because we were focused on features or specific technology. So I love what you said about being able to discuss intelligently with everyone involved and be able to understand from their perspective how do their pieces match up with, align with, or deliver the outcomes that we're looking for. And and that becomes, I think, the common key. Yep, yep. And there are shifts in even business models for a ton of different companies being more outcome-driven rather than being headcount-driven. For example, within the payments industry, there's a part of the business that essentially detects fraud for payments that are are flagged by customers. And in prior models, essentially, businesses would reach out to outside vendors to essentially help to mitigate or help to troubleshoot some of those fraud issues. So instead of a a model where you hire additional headcount to help mitigate that, that fraud, as the company begins to grow, that cost only gets higher. A lot of enterprises are beginning to transition to more outcome-based models that essentially say, okay, over this year period, we want to solve a thousand different fraud-related tickets. So being able to have an operating model that is based on, on outcome, to your point, Jack, rather than on, on headcount, that's, that's something that I've seen just within my everyday experience as well. So you hit the nail on the head with that one. Absolutely. We're moving away from focusing on the tool to what it is that you want to have at the end. How can folks move forward in this regard? Are there things that they can or should be doing that will help make that transition to to move forward into a different way of thinking? Or maybe there's some resources. Does your organization look to help with that? Or how would you suggest our listeners move forward? Yep, I would say to um, do back-end research. There are a ton of great different knowledge platforms to essentially leverage to get more insight on um, product management as a whole. One particular methodology I've used is the product school within San Francisco. They have other locations in other cities as well, but a very focused knowledge base, experienced product professionals who essentially um, can give insight onto some of the benefits of implementing product managers within your organization to really help move it forward when it comes to, to growth. So there are a ton of great resources and tools out there that, that can be leveraged to essentially build a, a product platform or a product team within your business to help to move it forward. And when I say move it forward, help it to grow, help it to implement products that provide a better customer experience to, to the end user, help the, the business to grow from a bottom and top line perspective. Um, there, there are a ton of different benefits of implementing product management within within your organization. Absolutely. In fact, here in Columbus, Ohio, there's even a product management meetup group. 
So if folks want to get a little more information, are you available to help them with that, or is there a better way for them to go? Yep, they can contact me directly via um, LinkedIn. My name is Kwame Egerton II. Great. I kind of feel like you hit it already, but there's any last words? I would say another goal of mine is really to help underprivileged or underrepresented communities to get involved in technology as well. Um, just being with my background, um, there's a ton of opportunities within the field. So looking to really share my experience to help improve the want for, for young kids similar to myself to, to get into the industry as well. So um, that that is something that is a, a passion of mine, something that is a, a goal and, and something I do want to share. Great. Thank you, Kwame. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks See you guys. Hi, this is Andrew Kingery with the Whitestone Consulting Group. In the next 60 seconds, I want to inspire you to be more intentional and effective at creating value. I'm covering the 20 laws that govern value creation, two at a time. The law of decoys states that people will always choose between the better of two comparable options, even if a better but incomparable option exists. This is important because if you want to enable a decision, it means that the options you give your people or customer should have two options, at least, that are easily comparable. Next is the law of references, which says expectations of value are influenced by references to previous exchanges of value. As customers interact with brands outside your category or industry, they become accustomed to new levels of service or technology. These experiences become reference points as they return to interact with your brand. I'm Andrew Kingery, and this is Two Laws of Value Creation in 60 Seconds. If you want to learn more, head over to valuepractitioner.com. Are you leveraging social media in your integrated marketing campaign? LinkedIn has the richest demographics on the planet, enabling you to connect with and build relationships with an audience that is probably looking for you. Let's use a laser focus and get right to the point. We can advise you every step of the way or even do it for you. Drive growth through high-quality personal relationships with your prospects and clients the way you've always wanted to. You can find us at standingonshouldersmedia.us or click on the link in the show notes below. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, Gary Hargraves is joining us. And we're going to talk about digital transformation in the oil and gas industry and whatever else happens to come along. Thanks for joining us today, Gary. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk. Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, certainly. So just a little bit of my background. I've spent about 20 years in delivering um, various types of projects in the digital space. I've worked in the retail industry, and then I got into the merger and acquisitions in the airline industry, and then I got into the oil and gas industry. So I've been working in oil and gas for about 10 of those 20 years. And right now, this industry is is really starting to catch up and transform via digital solutions and capabilities. And it's kind of a, they've been a lagger to the other industries, but but after 2014 and, and the last hiccup we had in oil prices, it really has forced the industry to take notice on, on how to use digital to change the business 
optimize various processes and, and really work different. I help from kind of across the board, whether it's digital strategy and figuring out what are the KPIs that a company should be focused on, what's the alignment internally that they should look at, new roles in the business, who those people should be, what, what their charter should be, all the way out to various emerging capabilities and projects that leverage you know, digital technology. That's what I've, I've been working on. What's different about the oil and gas industry versus the other industries that you've been a part of that would help folks see a where is a great place to start or maybe the converse? Where are the challenges that folks can learn from? Yeah, definitely. So the other big industries where there's been a lot of change, if you look at banking, if you look at retail even the autonomous vehicles that are coming out in, in the OEMs, the auto industry, all of those industries have a customer that really drives the demand and the decisions that they make. You know, the oil and gas industry, they don't have true B2C customers, some in the retail space, but most of those stores owned by oil and gas companies are franchised out anyway, and they don't have a lot of touch points there. And the major dollars spent in the industry have always been in the upstream oil and gas business. So, you know, actually going out and finding and producing that oil drilling the, the oil wells. Sure, exploration, production are really expensive propositions. Yeah, major capital projects, right? And and a lot of these projects are planned, in some cases, 50 years out, 55 years out. So it's hard to really just transform overnight. It takes it takes time. And then in this industry, a lot of a lot of influence in, in how the environment is being addressed. Safety is a big concern within the industry. Uh, some of the people that have come or at least gone from the industry, there's been a really, really high turnover. People retiring or a few years back when we had the last crash, a lot of people leaving the industry, and there hasn't been the same amount of youthful talent coming into the industry that you would see in, in some of the others. So it really affects how they can take advantage of new emerging capabilities and technologies because the digital talent is, is hard to find for this industry. How do you explain digital transformation? So from a layperson's point of view that's listening in to the show, how would you explain it to them in the most simplistic terms as possible? It's really about changing the way a company works. It's the culture and how the, the interaction and engagement from top down in that organization Amen. Um, just really takes care of their business. People that are coming out of college now, they're not looking to necessarily go to work for the same company for, you know, their life. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore, right? Yeah. Um, so how you structure and how you curtail your business to take advantage of those people coming out is it has to be digital. Your core DNA and how you align your projects, what KPIs and measures you're going to go after, the way you work with your partners and the ecosystem of digital capabilities really affects and defines what digital is in, in a company. If, for example, like, like the big market cap companies these days are Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, right? We're talking trillion-dollar market cap. Ten years ago, those were the super major oil and gas companies, and they are not the largest companies in the world. And the companies that they're relying on to transform and change their business are those Google and Microsoft and Amazon companies, right? So they're having to understand how to talk that digital language. They're having to understand how to take data and information and make that to something actionable. And they're having to have those conversations with people that they wouldn't have had to talk to in the past. 
You're right. And the workforce is really the most important of that for, for multiple reasons. It's a challenging industry from the costs, the environments in which they operate, the impact to our environment, and the expectation of the current workforce with what is expected of them, what they're willing to do, all really push us into this digital perspective. And from the oil and gas industry, it seems like there's even greater need. And an interesting backdrop with the long-term dependence on data and being very data-driven in what they've done around exploration, production, etc. As we look at how we manifest that digital experience to attract and retain a workforce, to be more efficient with the resources that we have, what have been the, the particular challenges from a technology perspective from the oil and gas industry, do you think? From a technology perspective, you know, one of the things the oil and gas industry has always dealt with is big data. Before it was even a term, because they've got right. these massive amounts of seismic data and information, which can be in various different types of formats, right? It's images, it's, it's log files, it's, it's, it's all this different type of data. And they've been sitting on it for, for years and they never get rid of it. Because like you see with what's going on in the young conventionals in the fracking business, where they're going back into areas that they had drilled, you know, using a certain methodology for a long time and have changed the way they're drilling and now they're going back and they're, and they're finding new oil in the same fields, that seismic information is very important. Challenge is just interpreting and learning and being able to analyze that data, you know, at scale because the technology hasn't been there in the past. Fortunately now with those tech titans, the processing power is there. And then when you start looking at AI and machine learning and doing and running the interpretations on that data, you know, it's possible now to, to have that type of work done. And going back to the digital question for for the layman's, digital is all about the experience that you're going to have and then tying that back into a process within your business. The other industries, you hear a lot about Uberfication, right? And you look at some of the other companies that are leveraging what's really big is the gig economy right now. So Airbnb and, and Uber are two great examples. The oil and gas industry gets frustrated with, with companies that kind of want to talk about that because it's hard for them and say, well, we can Uberize this process in our business, right? Because again, they don't have customers and they don't have, in a lot of cases, an access to that, that gig economy where you've, you've got people out there that are peer-to-peer and able to dial into that business directly. Um, so those, that's a big challenge in itself. Absolutely. And then one last thing, I, I know that you are an enthusiast of blockchain. Can you give us a, a real quick overview of Maybe a bit of a teaser. Yeah. So for for blockchain at its core, it's if you've got an asset that's being exchanged, then it's information intensive, it's financial intensive, and it's it is a candidate blockchain use case. The financial industries have obvious examples where cryptocurrencies and, and digital dollars are being being exchanged and new ways of working there. Uh, within the oil and gas industry, I think it will continue to be supply chain that comes to head as the major use case. That and trading, all of the large upstream oil and gas companies have a trading floor where they are exchanging commodities. And there's some consortia that have come out in the last six months that are really trying to figure out what those use cases are. So so trading and, and supply chain will be the ones that you'll see have the most attention in the next year, for sure. The other one, though, is the gig economy is, as well. So 
when you talk digital, we have access to people and talent in the world now that we never have had. And it's because of digital capabilities and technologies. So at Wipro, for example, we use a platform called TopCoder, and we have access to almost 2 million people around the world that can be brought on for data science projects, and they can be brought on for UI, UX, and all, you know, all the, those core digital projects. And it's, it's really starting to come to fruition in the oil and gas industry, going back to what I said earlier, where you've got this digital skill gap. Bringing these other people through a facilitated crowd tool and bring in all that new talent that, that wouldn't have come into the industry on their own, now we're able to pull them in and supplement these digital teams that the oil and gas industry is ch- trying to stand up. And it's worked beautifully in the other industries I've, men- I've mentioned. And now one of my charters, um, along with bringing in the gig talent to the oil and gas industry. That is a definite shift that's beginning, and I believe will become even more prevalent as we go forward with fewer and fewer of the long-term relationships, as you alluded to at the very beginning the expectations of lifelong employment are just not in place, certainly not the way they used to be. And we're going to see a, a huge shift in that approach from both sides. The change in how employers will approach employees or prospective candidates and the expectations of the workforce and willingness to become associated with a single organization and some of the risk that that entails, which has felt to be the opposite way in the past. And we're beginning to realize that it is really a lower risk approach by diversifying just as we would with our investments. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more, if you could, about when you work with a client, are you generally the one who does a client acquisition or are you fulfilling the deliverables that the client is asking for? Yeah, it's both. I've had pretty much every role you could have in the consulting line of business. But today, my charter is helping identify where the selling opportunities are with various clients, but also bringing the best that my company has to bear for a solution and then working and extending that out into the ecosystem of digital partners and really putting a solution together for my clients. What do you prefer? Do you have a preference? I like the solution side of really trying to figure out What's going to work? What's not going to work for every client? And when you look at digital transformation, it's a top-down driven change that's going on in, in companies, but that takes time. There's all these various emerging capabilities and technologies that are coming out, blockchain and robotic process automation and AI and machine learning and, and the gig economy. And how do you tie all this together to put forward you know, a solution that's going to make sense to a client relative to where they are in their journey? So that is a, that's always an interesting challenge kind of projects and that I like to, to take on. It's been good to have you on here today. Can you let everybody know if they want to contact you, you build some connections and you maybe a potential client is actually listening to you on the, um, how would they contact you? What's the best way? LinkedIn is my preferred method. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I, I keep my, my email, my phone number updated there and I'm, and I respond to messages as they come in. I have almost 20,000 connections at this point. Okay, well, listen, give us your full name again for that when they do check it out on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's Gary W. Hargraves is what you'll find on LinkedIn. Got it. Okay, cool. That's Gary W. Hargraves, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show because we most certainly did on this end. Thank you for tuning in to Digital Transformation with myself and Jack. Gary, thanks for being on, brother. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
So that was pretty interesting the way Gary brought in some of the old school and new school in, in the oil and gas fields. And uh, I like the way Kwame really connected the dots. I think we had a, another another good show here, Jay. Yeah, there you go, guys. And listen, we hope you enjoy it because we most certainly did on this end. Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation. Written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller.